If uh, you have your copy of the Lord's uh, Scriptures, if you would turn to Philippians. That's where we're going to be this morning, and we're, we're beginning chapter 4. As you turn there, I want to look at a word, anxiety. I wonder how many uh, just bringing up the word anxiety creates or stirs uh, within you some tightness of the chest. Anxiety is defined this way. Anxiety is when we feel, when we feel, when we're worried, when we're afraid. Next week we're going to be addressing the, the subject of fear, so we'll, we'll address that then. But it's that tense feeling that one has. And particularly about things that are about to happen. Interesting, not things that typically are happening, but things that will occur in the future or even could happen possibly. It stirs within oneself the feeling of anxiety. It's interesting, as, as a pastor, I've seen this, this feeling of anxiety plaguing our culture more and more. And the church is not immune from anxiety. It wasn't in Paul's day, nor is it immune today. It is a natural human response when, when there is a threat or a supposed threat presented to us. It can be experienced through our thoughts. And no wonder Scripture says that we should seize our thoughts. This chapter 4 is an amazing, amazing chapter pertaining to this. It can be experienced through our feelings. And we all know that our feelings are probably the most stable thing there is out there, right? Yeah, right. And through physical sensations. It's amazing how many, when anxiety is present within someone that it has physiological impacts on our bodies, our minds, and, and our health. It's a very real issue. And I in no way today want to belittle the concept or, or trouble that there is with anxiety. It's such a prominent thing that God, in His divine wisdom and sovereignty, put it in Scripture as something that we are to deal with and the way that He deals with it. And we're going to look at that today. Aren't you glad that God deals with real things in His Word? I am. Think about those things that 
can bring anxiety. I mean, the list is forever long, but let's just list a few that could be bills and bank accounts. Financial situations that you and I deal with have a small possibility of bringing anxiety. Going to the mailbox can in itself bring anxiety, can't it? What about uncertain health? And by the way, none of our health is certain, okay? We all deal with this on some level, but certain ones are dealing with this on a greater level. Known or unknown, we all deal with uncertain health. One of my favorites that, as a pastor, you you get to deal with on a regular basis is strained relationships. How many of you have ever dealt with a strained relationship? If you have not, you are in a cave somewhere away from anyone. And most likely, you probably have a strained relationship with yourself. (laughs) True fact. But it impacts marriages, doesn't it? Those strained relationships. It impacts friendships. Oh, those friendships that that are strained. It impacts our children. It's there, those strained relationships. What about unknown circumstances? I love how we we sing about how we serve a God that knows tomorrow. We, We praise Him with melody and words because He knows tomorrow. We have no clue. We can plan, we think we know, and then all of a sudden, tomorrow is upside down. Tomorrow holds no certainty for any of us. Turbulent governments. You know what's interesting? Is the things I just listed there were all things as Paul writes this letter to these Philippian believers that he loves so dearly. Those things that I just listed there are things that Paul was facing as he penned the words we're looking at today. It's interesting how all of those things had the potential, and I say potential, to bring anxiety to this man. This morning, they hold the same potential to bring anxiety to you and I, do they not? It's amazing that the the things that we face, culture changes, years changes, politics change, but guess what? The things that bring anxiety, the things that are inconsistent, are consistently inconsistent. And we face them. I love that God's Word talks about real life. God in no way, as He gives us His Word, is unaware of life. 
Think about it. As he walked this earth, each of those things were things that he himself faced. And greater. I love that when we bow our knee before our Heavenly Father, we go before one who is not unaware. But very in tune with your life and mine. And all of us face these things at different levels. Paul addresses for us in some practical ways today how you and I can counter anxiety. Not get rid of it. We are never going to get rid of anxiety. But we can counter anxiety with rejoicing. And I know some of you right now are sitting there or or listening going, there is no way. Yes, there is. We can counter it with rejoicing as you and I walk with this heavenly mindset. And it's very much so a mindset. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, he addresses our fears. He addresses our anxieties. And next week he's going to even address the fears in a greater, more impactful way. I encourage you to follow along as we read these words that I pray and I hope will encourage your your spirit this morning. Paul begins, therefore, I love that word, therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, in this way, stand firm. Stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Yodia, and I urge Sinkachi, I think that's how you pronounce them, we'll go with that, to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement and also the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Isn't that great? Remember where he's writing this from. Remember his situation. And he writes that with enthusiasm. I'm going to read it again. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I want to encourage you this week 
you read those seven verses as you start your day? Regardless of how or if or when we struggle, those verses have to bring encouragement. Paul begins with that word, therefore. I had a professor that always uh, would say, whenever you see the word therefore, ask what it's there for. Consider what came before it. And as we come to this chapter, Paul is concluding his thoughts. It's kind of that crescendo as he, he signs off. Oh, and what a crescendo it is. But as he comes, he has been writing to them, most recently, chapter 3, as you remember. And he's been declaring to them how they can live, how they can rejoice in all things. This is not the first time Paul has mentioned rejoicing in this letter. In fact, it's one of the most joyful letters that Paul ever writes. And he's in one of the worst situations he's ever been in. Interesting, isn't it? In chapter 1, Paul addresses to us how to have a single mind. Single focus. Regardless of our, our circumstances, we rejoice in Christ's service. As you and I serve Christ, we rejoice having that single focus. In chapter 2, Paul addresses our need for a submissive mind. A submissive mind as, as he reflects on the very mind of Christ, the Son of God, who Himself exhibited that same mindset. And you and I can rejoice in Christ's selflessness. Rejoicing in His selflessness. In chapter 3, Paul challenged us and his readers to have a spiritual mind. In light of knowing Christ, you and I have that opportunity to know Him and to begin to have a spiritual mind as we think through and approach things in this life as you and I walk and we rejoice in the sufferings of Christ. That's an odd thing to rejoice in, isn't it? But the very fact that Jesus Christ suffered for you and I, we rejoice as we too go through suffering. So as Paul closed chapter 3, and we consider therefore, we remember that eternal mindset that we are to have, that heavenly walk that we looked at last week, maybe adjusting our, our direction a little, and Paul turns his attention to the value of the eternal. Eternal things. Church, it's so easy. And I am just as guilty. To get caught up. In looking at the temporal. Temporary things. They inundate our lives, don't they? 
There's two things in this life that are eternal. One is God's Word. God's Word is eternal. It is everlasting. That's why we hold on to it. That is why it is the anchor in our life. The other thing that's eternal is people. People. The souls of people are eternal. And that's why God's Word brings life. Eternal life to those who believe. You want to invest? Invest in God's Word. Invest in people. And invest in the two together. How's your bank account looking for an eternal investment? It's a good thing to check from time to time. Paul expresses his love for these people. Did you see what he said? Verse 1. I think sometimes we read over this so quickly, we, we forget how valuable people were to Paul. Look, listen, he says, he describes them as my joy, my crown. What a beautiful way to, to describe the people he's writing to. These individuals, he's so affectionate for, he says, you bring me true joy. Just the thought of you, just the thought of, of your, the way that you love the Lord and the things of the Lord. Oh, he longed to see them. But then, his crown. He addresses them as brethren or brothers and sisters. This is relationship. And as he does, he says, You're my crown. Okay, they were very, very familiar with the Olympics and the receiving of that temporary crown that would wither away. And as Paul describes them, he goes, no, you are my crown. An eternal reward. Isn't that a cool way to view those people so close? The way that you love the Lord, the way that you grow and walk with Him, that is my crown, he says. You know, as a pastor, I can relate to that. There's no greater joy than to, uh, to see and understand that those that, that you shepherd are understanding and loving and following God's Word. And Paul rejoices. Too often, too often we find ourselves distracted from the things of eternal value to the things that are temporary, that are wasting away. And we lose our perspective. Paul challenges them to stand firm in this. Why? Because it's so easy to lose our footing. So easy to slip and fall. He challenges them, stand firm. 
But then he shifts his attention to the dangers of the temporal, the temporary. He points out to a very common situation. I would venture to say that each one of us, myself included, need to address this on some level in our lives. But differences, differences between people. He brings up these two women. How many of you know these women? Yeah, I don't either. I haven't met them. Truth be told, we... we, No, really, I haven't. They could be anybody in the church, couldn't they? They could be anyone in our church today. Two people having a disagreement and harmony is threatened. And let's be honest, most times these differences are over things that are temporary. What we do know about them is that these two women were not in harmony. The relationship that was there was fractured in some way. We know that these two women are women that Paul cares deeply for. So much so that as he's addressing this this concept of anxiety and joy and peace and all of this, he, he mentions them. We know that they're sisters in Christ. One day we will get to meet these two. Isn't that great? I am encouraged by that. Those who have differences in the church can still be followers of Christ. They can still go to heaven. Their names are in the book of life. They're sisters in Christ. These were two women that struggled alongside Paul for the gospel. They were there, they were they were witnessing, they were sharing. They were working alongside of him they were valuable to paul in the progress of the gospel isn't that encouraging yet they got their eyes off of the things that are important are valuable for eternity and they shifted them in some way some fashion to the things that are temporary in harmony was threatened. Paul reaches out to an unknown individual and says, I encourage you to to help these women be restored. I am really glad that Paul did not mention who this person was. Whoever it was would know who who Paul was talking about. Some think that it may have been the pastor there at the church of Philippi. Maybe another individual who knew these women well. Maybe one who had worked with Paul in the progress of the gospel along with Clement and others. I love that there's people involved in the work of ministry. But regardless of who this individual was, Paul challenged them to help restore. Church? 
It is not only the pastor's job to restore fractured relationships. Thank goodness. That's all of our job. That is all of our responsibility. To be an individual that helps restore fractions within the church, within the body. Are you that individual? Do you help take those conversations? Maybe those nuggets of gossip, prayer request, and direct them to help restore. That's all of our responsibility. Whatever it was had taken away from the eternal focus of that struggle for the gospel. Paul addresses several ways to maintain that harmony and to combat anxiety. We're going to look at the process for peace. I'm looking at the clock. We're struggling with that, so I'm going to go through this quickly. It's pretty basic. It's pretty simple. But let me begin and look at at peace. The process for peace. It's really the anti-anxiety. We're going to look at anti-anxiety. I mean, if that were a pill you could take, how many would take it? Well, good. Here it is, okay? It's rejoicing in Christ. Rejoicing in Christ. You're like, well, that, that's way too simplistic, Pastor. I know! I'm so glad God is not complicated. Not just rejoicing. We, we try to find things to rejoice about or in, and every time we find those things, they get turned upside down. We're to rejoice in Christ. Our attention is on Him. When anxiety comes in, we focus on Christ. It is the same thing. When we rejoice in Christ, it is the same thing that gave David the ability when he looked at a giant, which honestly a giant would create anxiety in most people, okay? It did in an entire army of Israel. But when David looked at Christ, when he looked at his God, he's like, God's bigger. Bam! He's running after that giant. It is the same thing that allowed Peter when he looked at Christ to step out of the boat into the storm and walk on the waves. It was only when Peter took his eyes off Christ that he began to sink. We rejoice in Christ. Our attention is on Christ. Paul is so certain of this. He mentions it twice. He's like, I want you to get this church. Rejoice in the Lord. When? Oh, good. You said that like you're like, I don't really think this. Let's try that again. Rejoice in the Lord. Oh, good. You're starting to believe it. I hope so, because he said it twice. Again, I will say rejoice. Oh, see, some of you are like, man, I'm actually going to try this out here. Good. And Paul's addressing joy, not happiness. Paul was not happy about his situation, but he found joy 
in his situation. Paul didn't like where he was at, but he could rejoice in Christ where he was at. There is a difference and I cringe sometimes when I, when I hear people come to the Scriptures and say, we're to be happy all the time. Well, they haven't looked at the Scriptures. God says, mourn with those who mourn, grieve with those who grieve, rejoice with those who rejoice. But in our circumstances in our life, we are to rejoice. You know why? Because we go to that last verse, Because we can have the peace of God. The peace of God. And this peace, I love the peace that God gives. It's not like the world gives. It's not like what we try to find as man. It is a peace that surpasses comprehension. Like I'm trying to understand this peace. Forget about it. It surpasses it. You can't understand it. But he gives it. That kind of peace doesn't make sense to man's logic. They look at your situation and they're like, how can you have peace in that? Well, God gave it to me. It it passes even my comprehension, really. It doesn't make sense. And we have it. Man's peace comes when things are quiet. Calm. All good. I mean, we usually think of a beach... Not with waves, but little ripples going whoosh, whoosh. You know, just that soft, quiet sound. And we think, oh, that's peace. Oh yeah, everybody can understand that kind of peace. I mean, my goodness. But God's peace comes when the storm is raging. Lightning is crashing all around you. The walls are crumbling Life is in turmoil and you have no certainty of tomorrow. And things are not good. And you have peace. That's the surpassing comprehension kind of peace that God gives. But it does two other things. Look at that. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, does this. Guard your hearts and your mind. A peace that protects. It will guard your heart. I'm constantly reminding my children, my family, those I love, to guard your heart. And God's peace does that. Anxiety pushes God's peace far away. But when we rejoice in Him, when we draw close to Him, His peace will guard your heart. It will guard your mind. Peace that you can have in life's struggles. Peace that when life throws you a curveball, when, when things are, are just at the peak for worrying, you find peace. Peace that will allow you to restore relationships. Peace within the family of God. 
You know what's amazing? The peace that he offers through his son, Jesus Christ, allows peace between you and me and God. You and I were enemies of God before our relationship with Christ. And now we have peace. Isn't that amazing? There's a beautiful process to this. Verses 5 and 6 give us this process. Here it is. You don't even have to write this down because it's in the Scriptures. Isn't that great? No note-taking. You ready? Here it is. The first thing. Have a gentle spirit. A gentle spirit. This is one that is patient with others, gracious, forbearing. You're like, really? Yeah. A gentle spirit. Oh, what a testimony it is. And Paul even says why you and I should have a gentle spirit. Not because you're looking at the situation. Not because of those around you. But that eternal perspective once again. Because the Lord's near. He's coming. It's soon. That's why. Secondly, a prayerful attitude. We have a gentle spirit. How do we have that? Because we have a prayerful attitude. And when you and I go before an almighty God in prayer, we are drawing close to Him. I was just sharing with someone this morning how prayer means more and more to me as I, as I go through life more and more. As I see God work through prayer, I, I learn more and more. It's not the beginning. It's not part of God's work. It is how God works. Because when we do, we come before Him. It says with supplication. This is an urgent need that you bring before God. And when you're talking to God, all of a sudden, the things that you need and want are quickly separated. When you are in His presence, you understand that there are things that matter, that are eternal, and there are things that are temporary. When we go before God. And that peace guards our heart. David himself would cry over and over again to God. He says, God, search my heart and know. What a way to pray. What a way to come before God. And thirdly, have a thankful spirit. Are you thankful? We usually talk about thankfulness around Thanksgiving, don't we? And we talk about the normal things we're thankful for, family, this, that, Jesus. You know, that's the church answer and all. But are you thankful? Do you have, as the slogan goes, an attitude of gratitude? When you go before Him in prayer, is the first thing on your lips, God, thank you. Thank you that I can come and talk to the most powerful being in the entire universe, the very one who spoke everything that's temporary into existence. God, thank you I can come to you. When you go before Him, are you 
expressing gratitude. It will change how you pray. You and I have so much to be thankful when we go to God for. Maybe you don't necessarily want to thank Him for the hardship that you're in, although He can use that. Maybe you don't really want to thank Him for the health struggles that you battle with day in and day out. But He can show His grace through that. Maybe you don't want to thank Him for the financial struggles. But He's the one who owns everything. If you struggle finding thankfulness, at least thank Him for His Son. What more could He give? Thank Him that you can come before Him and call Him Abba, Father. As Paul begins to address these things of anxiety, next week fear. Chapter 4, he's... He's encouraging us to rejoice because of Christ's sufficiency. See, we can rejoice because Jesus is enough. We can go through this life with a secure mind. Why? Because His peace guards our hearts and our minds. peace aren't you glad he gives peace see the temporary things of this life will bring anxiety undoubtedly but what he offers is peace today Most of us, if not all of us, will leave here with bills and bank accounts at varying levels. All of us will leave here with uncertain health. Some of us are a little more uncertain than others. Struggling with things maybe nobody even knows about. And you'll leave here today with that same uncertainty Nothing I've said today will change that. Some of you may leave here with strained relationships. I don't know, maybe the person you're sitting next to is the one that you have that strain with. I venture to say those things are temporary issues. Let's think eternal. All of us have unknown circumstances, and guess what? When you walk out those doors, the government is still going to be just as turbulent as it was yesterday and the day before. But 
each of us can walk out of here rejoicing. Not in those things. We can rejoice in the Lord. I love that simple song, and you can do a round robin with it, you know. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. You know, it's a great song, and we, we would sing it as kids, and we would have fun, you know, because the teachers would make us go and stand up and sit down. Stand up. They were just trying to wear us out. But you know what? They wanted to wear us out so much. The song still is etched in the mind of this pastor. We need to remember that. You and I are called to rejoice. In something, someone. Not the situations, but someone who is greater. Someone who is more powerful than the situation you're in, than you. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Let's pray. God, anxieties are there. God, we don't even have to leave our seats today or finish this prayer to know that they are there. Those things, those feelings, oh God, I pray that we will be a people, a church who can rejoice, who can look at the things that are eternal. God, that we can look to you. And regardless, because we rejoice in you, oh God, people would find joy and peace in your church family. God, I pray that for each one here. And I know for some here that is much harder than for others. While others look at a storm approaching, others feel they are drowning. So God, may we look to you.